strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Well, good morning, everybody. This is Matt Salmon in for Mike Broomhead, and I am so thrilled to have our senior senator and somebody that actually has kept their campaign promises uh, on the show today, uh, Senator Kirsten Sinema. Welcome to KTAR. Well, it's great to be back with you, Matt. How are you? Well, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It seems like every meaningful thing that's happened to wa- in Washington, D.C. over the last couple of years has your handprints on it. Um, you know, whether it's uh, dealing with infrastructure funding and something that uh, everybody's been crying for for 20 years is something you're involved with now, the, the, the border and fixing uh, those issues. Um, but I do have to ask you, uh, it's been on the news and uh, our understanding is that Ruben Gallego is uh, going to announce on Monday that he's running for the Senate. Uh, any reaction? Well, first of all, Matt, um, I'm, again, delighted to be with you this morning. And uh, don't tell Mike. He's probably jealous. I've been on your show twice recently. Uh, <laughs> he's going to start getting upset. <laughs> but, look, I understand why you're having to, to ask me this question. But as I've been saying for months now, a never-ending focus on campaign politics is why so many people hate politics. You know, we just got through a really grueling election cycle. And I think most Arizonans want a break. And as you noted, um, as you were introducing this interview, there's a lot of really important work left on the table to get done for Arizona. I'm incredibly proud of the work I've been able to accomplish in the United States Senate in the last couple years. And I'm going to stay focused on the work that I have ahead of us. You know, Arizonans know this. Um, They know that I show up to work. Um, I get there every day to put my head down and just focus on solving problems. I've got a great track record of doing exactly that. As you mentioned, um, things like the bipartisan infrastructure law, the chips and science law that I helped shepherd through last summer, um, gun violence and mental health um, prevention and funding, uh, marriage issues. I mean, the work we've done over the last two years is just tremendous, but there is still more to do. And I'm focusing my attention right now on working on immigration. And so that's why I'm just going to stay focused on trying to solve our border and immigration crisis. As folks know, I'm also continuing to work hard on securing our water future. Um, And of course, to try and lower costs for Arizona families so they can get ahead. So I'm not really thinking or talking about the election right now, although others are. I'm staying focused on the work. Well, you know what? And I think that's one of the reasons that you've been successful is you're a pragmatist and you believe in accomplishment over partisan uh, boondoggling. And uh, if that's even a word, but uh, the the fact is uh, uh, you have kept the promises that you've made. um, And one of those promises before we get to the border was uh, to not do politics as usual. And you've stood uh, as a safeguard uh, for the institution uh, in terms of protecting the filibuster. I know recently you were in Davos with uh, uh, Senator Manchin, and, and a lot of people commented on the high five thing. But the fact is, um, you you are what you say you are, and and that to me uh, and to a lot of people on both sides of the aisle is incredibly refreshing. <laughs> Well, you know, I'm hearing from you for the first time that people have been making noise about something in the media, because as folks know, I just don't pay much attention to the folks who are sniping or, you know, complaining on the Internet. What I do stay focused on is delivering more results. And, you know, following the leadership of Arizona Senator John McCain, who 
who stood on the Davos stage every year on behalf of Arizona and our interests. I was really proud to go on that trip to discuss with policymakers and thinkers about bipartisanship and working with others to solve problems. And I am glad of the stand that I took to preserve the uh, rule of law in the United States Senate. You know, folks on one side of the aisle said that if the uh, filibuster wasn't eliminated, that there would never be another free or fair election in our country and that, uh, you know, it was just going to be doomsday. And the reality is, is that we had a free and fair election last year. And as we saw in Arizona and all across the country, the most radical elements largely didn't get elected. The ones who were denying election results and and claiming that everything was fraudulent, those folks by and large didn't get elected. And there were folks who got elected that covered the entire political spectrum. And that's exactly what our forefathers intended when they created this system of elections. And similarly, in the United States Senate, the filibuster was created to ensure that you didn't have one party um, just make radical changes every few years when they had total power. What I demonstrated over the last two years in the United States Senate was that even when you um, were required, and I think you should be required to work together to solve problems, that we were able to achieve incredible things, much more so than I would say Senate's from the prior 20 years or so. We got so much done, and we did it in a bipartisan way. That's what Americans want from us, and that's what I'll keep delivering. You know, uh, well said, uh, Senator. And um, you uh, recently, again, led a bipartisan delegation uh, here to uh, Arizona. I think you were in Somerton to talk about bipartisan reforms. Uh, during the, uh, the lame duck session, you tried to get something through it. It didn't work. A lot of people cheering you on. Why are you focused on this? And what will it mean to the citizens of Arizona? Well, as you just mentioned, last week, I led a tour with Senator John Cornyn of Texas of um, eight senators. It was the largest uh, bipartisan delegation from the Senate to ever really uh, go to the border. In, well, in fact, it's tripartisan now because I'm an independent. But we did a day in El Paso and a day in Yuma, Arizona. And these visits were very busy and very productive. You know, we heard from the brave men and women who are working on securing our border and keeping our country safe. We saw the gaps in our border security. We witnessed the challenges with the overwhelmed asylum system. We learned about the impacts of the border and immigration crisis on our communities. And what I'm really proud of, um, to be honest with you, Matt, is that we were able to bring senators who don't live anywhere near um, the southern border to actually see firsthand these challenges, to see the crisis that we're facing. And to renew an effort to actually solve the problem realistically and pragmatically, not with talking points, not with attacking each other on television or cable news, but really just trying to solve the problem. And this really is an opportunity to build on the bipartisan framework that Senator Tillis and I um, launched in December, uh, right before the holidays. As you mentioned, we ran out of time to get that bill passed before the end of the session. And so we decided to start very early this year by renewing that effort and growing our support in the United States Senate. So, Senator Sinema, will, will a robust guest worker program be part of the plan? You know, in Arizona, as I talk to employers, one of the biggest issues they face is not being able to get employees. 
You know, it's um, it's too early for me to tell you with any level of specificity what okay. exactly will be in the final plan. And the reason is, this won't surprise you, um, because I believe we have to build a plan from the middle out, which means, you know, Senator Tillis and I have started this framework, but we know that in order to pass this through the Senate and the House, we will need to collaborate with colleagues on both sides of the aisle um, from both the middle and the farther edges of the political spectrum. And so we want to do this just like I have with all of the other bipartisan efforts I've worked on in the last several years to do this in an organic way from the bottom up. Um, And that means that we'll be listening to our colleagues about what's important for them and their communities. I can tell you that what I hear from Arizona business leaders is a desperate need for increased visas, both for our agricultural programs down in southern Arizona, but also for our high-tech and high-wage industries that you hear about more in Tucson, Phoenix, Flagstaff, and other parts of the state. That's the number one thing I'm hearing from folks is that we really need workers across the spectrum. And of course, I'm always hearing about the need to settle the status for our dreamers. You know, these are young people who've been here since they were kids. And, you know, many of them are working in our communities, and it makes no sense to not let them have long-term papers. You know, we spent all this investment educating them. Um, They've grown up in our communities, and they absolutely should be Americans in paper. Right now, they're in Americans in all but name, and they deserve it um, in, in that paperwork as well. And then we also have to really focus in on providing true security on the border. Right now, the cartels get to decide who comes into the country and who doesn't, because we don't have a safe and secure process at the border to choose who we want to let into this country and who we don't. And of course, as you know, because of this uh, frailty at the border, the amount of fentanyl and other drugs that are coming into our country is creating such a problem. So we've really got to focus on um, border security and reforming the asylum process so that we have better control over who comes in and who doesn't in our country. Senator Sinema, thank you so much. And and I, uh, I'm i going to say this on the record. I think that uh, the Tom Petty estate wouldn't have any problem with you associating yourself with the song, I Won't Back Down. Uh, you've been a, <laughs> you've been a, a, a fighter uh, for Arizona, and we appreciate it. So thank you, Senator. Well, thanks so much. Have a great day, Matt. Bye-bye. Okay, everybody, stick with us. Uh, this is Matt Salmon on KTAR. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. All right. It's a beautiful morning in Arizona. And uh, welcome to the Mike Broomhead Show with Matt Salmon in for Mike Broomhead on KTAR. And I'm going to catch you up on the uh, biggest stories of the day today. Julia, what do we got? Did you hear this? Broomhead's reaction to the hottest news stories. As questions continue to circle about the findings of classified documents, the White House is speaking out. The White House is hitting back, saying Republicans showed little interest in investigating the reams of classified documents seized by the FBI at former President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago. That case has its own special counsel, which is proceeding with its investigation. How should we view the mishandling of classified documents? It's a serious breach. I mean, these documents are classified for a reason. It's national security. And when they're open to public scrutiny, Uh, It causes an issue, a a, a breach in our national security. It's a big deal. And I'm sick and tired of both parties trying to sweep these things under the rugs when their own actors get caught. It's wrong. 
Thousands are expected in Washington, D.C. today for March for Life. And it's the first time that the march is happening in the wake of the Supreme Court decision. Today, they're going to march to the Supreme Court as they have for decades, but they're also going to take a detour at the U.S. Capitol as an acknowledgement of the fact that the anti-abortion movement, even abortion rights movements, look much different now in this new framework after the overturning of Roe v. Wade. What's next for the pro-life movement? Well, it's never going to go away. I think this debate is something that's going to be with us for probably eternity. And the fact is, people on both sides have strong feelings. But where people are, most people are in America, is that they're probably somewhere in between. They don't like late-term abortions, and they don't like the idea that uh, people can't uh, protect the life of the mother or deal with rape or incest exceptions. So uh, it's it's around for a long time to stay, but the states are going to be making those decisions and not the federal government. You're listening to Did You Hear This, where we get you caught up on the biggest news stories of the day. And up next, debt limit spending seems to be a reoccurring problem. And ABC's Rachel Scott explains the high in stakes involved. Troops could go unpaid and we could see interest rates spike on everything from mortgage to car to credit card payments. We're not talking about money to pay for future spending. This is all about raising the nation's borrowing limit to pay for the bills that we currently have. Will Congress and the Treasury find a solution to avoid financial chaos? I created this acronym that I released uh, earlier in the day, ISS. It's a spending stupid. Uh, and we have got to start getting some fiscal sanity back in Washington, D.C. When you spend like drunken sailors on shore leave, uh, it, 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 it does not uh, end in, in a pretty way. And we've got to change that. It's got to we've got to have some fiscal sanity. Vice President Harris was in Arizona yesterday, but did not go to the border. Cochise County Sheriff Mark Daniel said he was not surprised by this. The president and vice president have not prioritized the southwest border when it comes to national security, public safety, or humanitarian. Why do you think she didn't go to the border yesterday? I don't think she went to the border because I don't think she has a clue what's really going on, nor does she really care. All right, that's it. You heard it first on Did You Hear This? And we're thrilled to have you with us today. We've got uh, a lot more interesting topics to talk about, so stick with us. This is Matt Salmon on KTAR. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey there, this is Matt Salmon in for Mike Broomhead on this uh, beautiful January morning. This is why we live here, folks. Isn't that great? Anyway, uh, Governor Katie Hobbs recently released her budget, and uh, she intends to decimate the uh, school choice program in Arizona. On the line with me, I have Janelle Wood. She's the founder of Black Mothers Forum, which... uh, advocates to end the school-to-prison pipeline, and uh, she's been out there leading the charge for school choice and and parental uh, involvement in kids' education, and she's even been starting some uh, what we'd call micro-schools. Janelle, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Matt. It's nice to be here. Well, I'm thrilled to have you. Um, Janelle, um, a lot of people say only uh, right-wing Republicans support this idea of school choice. Are you a right-wing Republican? I am not. <laughs> I am a Democrat. You're a Democrat. Well, okay. I am a Democrat. 
yes, and I believe in parental choice, and um, and I believe is that we all should have that freedom to make the decision what's best for our children. You know, who could argue with that? You've been involved with this fight for a long, long, long time. Can you tell us why it means so much to you and why you think that parents should be more involved in the decision-making on where their kids go to school? Because we have seen, in, in since we've been uh, in an organization, we came into being in 2016, and one of the things that we recognized was that that we had this thing called the school to prison pipeline and so we started to take a really close look at what was going on uh, in the schools especially as it related to our black children our black sons and daughters and what we found was that many of them were being disproportionately disciplined uh, there were very low expectations of them to achieve you know at a high academic level uh, they were being bullied they were being retaliated against and it was just an unsafe space for them to be in and so uh, we continue to press the schools to create more safe and supportive learning environments, especially making things more, you know, against bullying, come against bullying, stop the bullying so our children can actually be in class and be focused. Uh, we found that uh, our children weren't the only ones being bullied. Bullying was a big deal, but the class sizes were also a problem. Many of the teachers could not control their classrooms, classrooms because who, what, what one person can control, you know, fifth and sixth graders when you have 32 to four of them sitting in a class. Unacceptable. And so we decided that it would be best to start to look for smaller learning communities. And as we started to look for those smaller learning communities in 2019, now this is before COVID, we were already starting to make that transition. And we started looking at homeschooling options uh, for our families. And I found the Empowerment Scholarship account around 2019, 2018, I came across this uh, this empowerment this empowerment scholarship account, and I read up on it. And I said, oh, my goodness, this would be something awesome for our families. But there's so many conditions on it. So it kind of discounts a lot of the children that are not considered special needs, uh, that are not considered um, in need of um, therapy or tutoring. These are just regular children that are in low-income communities that just need an opportunity to be placed in an environment where it's smaller setting and they get the individualized attention they need. And so as I started to look at that, I said, wait a minute, this needs to change. And why is it so restricted? And so when I found out that, um, you know, Governor Ducey was very much in support of this, uh, one of the things that um, we decided to do as an organization was to support whatever we could to make sure we push this to where all children can have an opportunity to go to a private school, to be homeschooled, or to be in a program that would uh, better their chances of gaining a, a quality education, which we all know is the uh, pathway out of poverty. And that's what we've been doing ever since. And then the micro schools came around uh, as a result of our search for smaller learning communities. Uh, we came across Prenda, and Prenda had micro schools. And we never heard this concept, but we felt it would be a, the best start uh, for us to start making these transitions. The only thing is, is that you need to pay for them. 
And so we were blessed to have support from Governor Ducey and from other philanthropic groups to start those, but you got to maintain them. And we realized that if we could get the empowerment scholarship accounts to now be opened up for all students, then now we could really do a good service for our children and put them in a much better setting and give them the opportunity to fulfill their God-given purpose. Janelle, couldn't have been better said. What would you say to the teachers' union folks that uh, are fighting this tooth and nail and doing everything that they can to try to dismantle the program? What would you say about competition, and should they fear it? Well, you know, competition is always healthy for anybody because it makes you become your better self. (laughs) So... Uh, what I would have to say is that if you say that you are there, especially my teachers, first of all, I'm not against teachers. I'm not against the public school. By any means, we're not against them. We're not anti them. But we are anti a system that says it's okay for children to uh, endure certain hardships while in class because of a lack of classroom management. And the teachers should want to be in smaller learning communities so they, too, can actually fulfill what they were called to do, and that's to educate. Who can educate 35 to 40 kids right. in a class? There's right. education going on there. There's nothing but discipline. There's babysitting. And they keep telling me they're not babysitters. Then why don't you support getting support learning uh, smaller learning communities that can be given to you through these empowerment scholarships and you too as a teacher can find your way to a better learning environment an environment that will actually give itself to you the opportunity to actually teach for you to actually creatively engage your children right now they can't do that because of all the traumas that are going on. And some of our children were traumatized pre-COVID, but now it's even been exacerbated as a result of COVID. So many of our teachers are leaving. We have a teacher shortage. Why is that? Because the district is not adhering to their needs. And this empowerment scholarship account will give them an opportunity to find a new setup, a new place, and then to take on the amount of kids that they need to take on and do what they were supposed to do. I just believe that there's this myth uh, that um, the only way to get a good quality education is through the public education system. And if we don't feed into this system, that somehow uh, our children will face a great demise educationally and academically. And that's not true. We find that right now they're facing their great demise being in this system. And we got to make sure we get them safer space. Well, thank you, Janelle. Absolutely. Well, I think if I take anything away from this, it's uh, children over systems. And so thank you, you thank you so much for your hard work uh, on behalf of Arizona families. You're with KTAR. This is Matt Salmon in for Mike Broomhead. Thank you, Janelle. And stick with us. Thank you. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, everybody, this is Matt Salmon in for Mike Broomhead. And I am in for my last segment of the day here on KTAR, where you get strong talk. Hey, uh, Hollywood elites, know-it-alls, love to tell everybody in the country uh, what the policy should be. And they almost always seem like they're going to be on the left. In fact, I'm hearing uh, 
recently that uh, Chris Pratt, who's one of my favorite actors, uh, I love uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, in fact, I love everything, just about everything. I loved him when he was on The Office. Or, or no, it was a, what was uh, anyway. I forget, but uh, I love Chris Pratt. He's a great actor, and I've heard uh, through the grapevine and uh, what I've read on the internet that uh, uh, they're trying to cancel him because they think he might be conservative. He hasn't really come out and said a lot of things uh, politically, but they think he might be conservative, so he needs to be uh, canceled. Um, you know, one of the actors I actually had the greatest, or one of the comments made by an actor uh, gave me some of the greatest respect uh, was uh, uh, actually Brad Pitt. And before you start throwing things at me, um, I want to clarify that. This was many, many years ago. Uh, he made a movie called Seven Years in Tibet. And uh, afterwards, some reporters came up to him and asked him, what should be done in Tibet? And without uh, missing a beat, he said, what the bleep do I know? I'm just an actor. It's so sad that more actors don't do that. They don't clarify that, you know what, I get paid to be uh, an actor on TV uh, or in the movies, but I'm not an expert on this subject. Important security message. Which... Your computer has been locked. Which to me really is uh, fascinating uh, because Alec Baldwin, one of the big mouths out of Hollywood that loves to pontificate about just about everything, all things on the left, uh, and has the answers to all of life's problems uh, except his own family issues. But I won't digress and go into that. Uh, you know, he has been an adv- a strong advocate of gun control laws and a real critic of the NRA. You know, it's really a shame that he wasn't actually a student of one of the NRA gun safety classes, or he would have learned one of the first rules of gun safety is not to point any weapons at people. And so what's interesting in the news uh, is this headline, Alec Baldwin to be charged with involuntary manslaughter in fatal rust shooting. The Rust was the name of the movie, the low-budget Western film that he was making. But uh, he's going to be charged with manslaughter. And uh, his uh, lawyer says that uh, Mr. Baldwin had no reason to think there was a live bullet in the gun or anywhere on the film set. Well, in the basic uh, gun safety classes offered by the NRA, that's the first thing that they teach you. Always assume that a gun is loaded and never point a gun at another individual. So Alec Baldwin has learned the hard way. Uh, instead of uh, being a big mouth, uh, he's learned uh, that maybe now uh, your actions have consequences. And also that guns don't kill people without idiots behind them. And uh, so now uh, Alec Baldwin is going to be uh, defending himself, and it is a Class 4 felony. He could end up uh, doing some time in prison over this one. But you know what my, uh, my thoughts about that are? Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. So anyway, folks, uh, you've been wonderful to be with me today. I've enjoyed uh, uh, this uh, opportunity. What have we had today? We talked about school choice. Uh, we had uh, a mother uh, that started uh, a movement for uh, minority children so that they could get a better education. And look who just popped into the studio. Yeah, I just want to let you know it's, it's official. Yes, I am jealous that you've had Senator Cinnamon twice, and I've only had her on once. So, yeah, you can let her know next time you talk to her. I'm 
counting. I'm keeping count. So that was that was a great interview, by the way. But who else can I get on that would piss you off? Because I want everybody, get, everybody. Okay. When I see your guest list, I think, man, am I slacking? <laughs> so no, it was great. It was a great show. I, I heard the uh, the woman talking about micro schools. I heard the cinema interview. So great job. It, yeah. uh, it, you know, I know you're in. I'm in capable hands, or the audience is when I'm gone. So. And Mike, you and I have talked a lot off the air and sometimes on the air about uh, the NRA and yeah. their gun safety classes. Do you think Alec Baldwin might have benefited from that, one of yeah, those gun safety classes? And 101, you do not point weapons at people. And you know... You um, always assume your, they're loaded. Your years of experience, right. If you are someone, especially in a situation like that, because we've always been taught you never point a gun loaded right. or ungloated right. at somebody if you right. don't plan on shooting. But in a scenario when you're doing a, a movie... You are the responsible person is the one pulling that trigger exactly. to ensure it. No matter what the protocol is, you're the last line of defense. Before you ever clean your weapon, you always open the cylinder if sure. it's a if it's a semi-automatic. Yep. Uh, or excuse me, open the uh, your racket yep. to make sure that there's no bullet in make the in the chamber. Make, make it, it safe. safe. And the same thing with a with a revolver, you make sure there's no bullets in the cylinder. It's just one on one. And the the uh, operator of the weapon is responsible to Absolutely. make sure that it's safe. Absolutely. But the uh, Last person to touch it is the one that's responsible. Mike, when I grow up, I want to be you. <laughs> well, you should set your goals a little higher. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining me for the Mike Broomhead show today. Show today. The real guy's here, and I'm uh, just thrilled to be able to be in here with you. Uh, have a wonderful Friday and a wonderful weekend.